and welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Chalkboard. I'm Katie, and this is a space where we aim to build community among faculty and educators, inspire innovation, and share new technology-based teaching strategies. Thanks so much for tuning in. On the first episode of Beyond the Chalkboard, I welcome Adam Vincent. He most recently was in an education consultant role for advanced teaching practices with the Teaching and Learning Commons at Kwantlen Polytechnic University. In this episode, we take a look at the universal design for learning principles and talk about some of Adam's ideas on how to move your lecture to the next level with Lecture Plus Components. Welcome. We're in the new Civic Plaza. We are. How's it going? Good. It took a couple minutes to find it, but once I found it, it's only the largest building in the area, but it's a, it's a really interesting space. Yeah, and we're here in our broadcast room recording, so I'm pretty excited about that. So thanks for coming out. You're welcome. So what we're going to start with was actually to get you to introduce a little bit of your background and your specialty. Can do. So I'm kind of a Kwantlen lifer. I've been here now for going on 19 years. Oh my goodness. I graduated high school and said, where do I want to go? Oh, Kwantlen. So I came to Kwantlen, got my undergrad degree here, worked in a bunch of different areas, worked in admissions. I was a grad officer for a time, uh, spent a good chunk of time in the learning center. And that's where my passion for, for learning and education really started to blossom. So I was at the time a instructional associate, now called the learning center coordinator, and also the assistant for about five years. And then with my master's in education, in literacy education from UBC, I came on board as a learning strategist. So what we do is we focus on students learning strategies as far as studying, as far as test taking, as far as reading, anything you could possibly need help with um, around content for courses, we're there to support. And then with my background in writing, if students need help, there for that as well. And at the same time, I'm completing my PhD in mm. education at UBC. Finally reached that ABD status. Woo! I had to look that up, actually. I, used, I was like, it must be something in Latin. No. Yep. All but dissertation. <laughs> so my research will be done in the coming months and then write my dissertation. Uh, but I've been fortunate at the same time that uh, I got some sections with educational studies. Okay. So I was working with the Learning Center and then also with educational studies, uh, teaching Education 1100. Introduction to Higher Education. Okay. So really helping students who are transitioning into university for the first time. A lot of international students would come in because they're like, what, what's the deal with your university? I can tell you, I can mm -hmm. help you. Um, but then it also focuses on the whole theory of why does higher education actually exist? So why are we here? What do we do? What's the purpose? Is it all just propaganda saying get your education <laughs> or is it purposeful? So in addition to telling them what the purposes are meant to be, it helps them through critical self-reflection to think of, well, why am I here? And so that's, students have come back and said, I changed my, my area of interest, it's now this, or they tweak slightly or, or it reaffirms what they're doing. So it's really positive to have both the study skill side and then the in-class. And you get to practice what you preach and what you live. Yes. So that's what's been really positive about also being an educational consultant is that this, these are the practices I use in my classroom. Excellent. These are how I've seen them working. This is also the feedback I've heard from students in the Learning Center on how they're learning well or having troubles learning with particular styles of, of teaching or particular styles of assignments and working with students on how to adapt. So in, in this role, I've been able to actually help faculty with how to adapt 
to the changing student demographics that we have and dynamics and any other D word you can possibly think of for <laughs> our, our changing student population. So Excellent. You have both perspectives. I really like that idea. You can, you can do some experiments in your classroom and then actually bring it back to your, those students that you're helping and you yeah. get feedback right away from them. Yes. And the good thing with being a learning strategist is a student comes in and they have a completely different need than the student before. Mm. So then I think, well, if they're both in my classroom, how could I actually work to reach them? Mm -hmm. So and, that's been helpful. And that probably applies to the UDL principles that maybe we'll talk about a little bit later. It sure does. Okay, excellent. So one thing that I was uh, curious about is maybe tell me one technology or one thing that you use in your classroom that you found that ha to have a lot of success. So the thing that works usually for any kind of student I've ever had has been using YouTube. So if I ever was in an e-class, sorry, not in an e-classroom, I would be, uh-oh, what am I going to do? Because YouTube is my friend. And I tell students, YouTube is your friend. They're like, there's nothing really good out there. But if you're able to filter through, there's a lot of good things. So an example is, is using music on YouTube. So one of the topics I talk about in my class is models of schools. Looking at the idea of the factory model, where everything is, you know, processed and everything's the same. There's a little mold, you get squished into it. Or the seed model, whereas everyone's their own seed. Mm. And it just matters about their growth. So when we talk about the factory model, what I do is I bring up the music video for Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall. Oh. And it's quite a dark video, but students get the idea. And it has children on conveyor belts at the start who get put through a machine, they get stuck in their little desks, mm. and their faces get melted off. And students go, oh, what happened? Oh, why are you showing us that? <laughs> and I said, well, look, they had personalities, and now they don't. And they're like, oh. Hmm. So the video continues, and eventually the students revolt against the factory model. But it opens the door to show them the extreme criticisms of that. Mm -hmm. And having a music video, of all things, really shows them that. So not just the lyrics, but the visuals. Mm. So YouTube helps me to hit the visual learners, the auditory learners, but then also the doers, because they can see some modeling of a technique or of a concept actually taking place, then they can do it. So YouTube plus some form of a cooperative learning activity or just a, you know intrapersonal, interpersonal, whatever you want to get them thinking through the ideas. So for me, YouTube, because you can get it anywhere, has been probably one of the most useful pieces of technology in the class. Excellent. You know, one way that I use YouTube with my classroom, so I teach lab. And so this is skills that nurses have to prepare for themselves for when they're in the hospital. And so my students look and use YouTube all the time to see um, skills and watch skills being performed. Now, the thing that I really focus on is being very analytical about the YouTube videos. So when they watch one, they actually are required or I get them to take a look at it and pick out things that they would do differently or that they notice about it that isn't actually according to the policy that mm -hmm. they've learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I find that giving that analytical um, piece is really, really valuable for them because then they, they start noticing it and say, hey, Katie, I noticed that um, this nurse was wearing a ring in the, <laughs> and you know, we're talking about hand hygiene and infection control and you're not yeah. supposed to wear rings when you're doing yeah. Hand hygiene, yeah. so that's one way. Her that nails it. are really well done for being. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, acrylic nails. Yeah. No, no. Sparkles are flying everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's also good so that they don't have to also hear my voice the whole time. 
Oh, yes. So even if it's something where a lecture is needed, the YouTube video reaffirms it. So we talk about career as well. And I show them a, a little documentary and I say, it's 14 minutes in length, bear with me. And they all laugh because, of course, the two-minute attention spans. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's long. Mm -hmm. And they say, you're going to be you're gonna be scared of this video. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's about careers and it's scary. So it's a video about there being limited jobs. Mm. And all that idea of the side hustle. And I think it was a CBC documentary. Um, they did a bunch of different series. But this one in particular scares them. Well, then at the end, I'm like, how are you feeling? They're like, terribly. That person, and they tell the story of the person in the video. I'm like, but good news. Now we're going to work on building in skills now in your first year, for the most part, the first years. I have some fourth years where, like, it's an easy elective. They get in there like, I wish I took that in my first year. <laughs> well, I'm glad you took it. Thank you for coming. But so what we do then is we look at the skills that are needed now so they don't end up like the people in the documentary who are struggling to find work. And what can you do now, which leads into that assignment that we're going to do on what are your soft skills, what are your hard skills, what can you do now for volunteer career to build into your your repertoire so that later your resume and your CV are actually fruitful so that you don't get to the end of your four-year degree and go oh what can I do oh I didn't volunteer oh I didn't work as a tutor oh I didn't do any of that stuff oh that was a really easy thing that I should have done so using YouTube to show the examples of real-life scenarios where things have gone awry mm -hmm. to give the assignment more purpose so that they engage in it more fully it's also been really useful. Mm -hmm. They have a better perspective yep. and they can see how it applies to them in their life. Yeah, it's not just me saying, this is my story. This is what you need to know. It's here's other people in your age bracket who are going through these challenges. Mm -hmm. So Adam, you talked about using YouTube and one thing that you mentioned was about how you hit different types of learning styles. So whether that's the auditory learner, somebody who's more of a visual learner or um, those doers out there. So I think that's actually a really good transition to talk more about your work with UDL or Universal Design for Learning Principles. So why don't you just give us a brief description about what that is to start? Sure. So UDL, and a good place to look if you're wanting to look it up is, is through CAST, C-A-S-T. Uh, they've given some UDL guidelines that most people in the area follow. There's some other stuff out there you can read, have fun reading it. It's a really narrowed down version of it. So what UDL looks at is multiple means of representation, multiple means of engagement, and multiple means of action and expression. So ultimately what it's looking for is, what I say to my students, it's spitballing with a purpose. So what we're going to do is we're going to give as many opportunities for you to hit the wall as possible. So in learning, we want to give as many different ways of, of showing, doing, and engaging that we possibly can. So again, it's keeping them interested. It's making sure that they have sustained effort and persistence. It's giving them different ways of looking at things. It's using different forms of language or symbols or representation. Um, and then it gives an opportunity to actually do. So it's getting the doing in learning. It's having them try things, see how it works, trial and error. Um, different ways of expressing themselves, different forms of communication. So if you have, say, a test, so instead of doing a written test with a pen and paper, students are able to audio record their answers and send it to you. So that might resonate better with them than something different. Uh, they might be able to make a, a YouTube video instead of doing a formal test to still show the same learning outcomes and the same, as we say here, objectives slash outcomes.
um, on all of our course outlines. So it's about giving variety and not being stuck in just one form. So what I often tell other instructors when I have these discussions is think of it as lecture plus. You say, what do you mean lecture plus? So this isn't to say we don't have to lecture because we do need to transmit information. But if we're gonna transmit information, we need something else. We need that plus. We need to have them do something, see something, interact with something, experience it, so that we're not just saying, this is the only way of doing this, this is the only way. Because that just leads to rote memory. So often if you see your students just sitting there trying to memorize the textbook, for me, there's something that could be done differently in the classroom to engage them more. And through the tenets of UDL, that really seems to help because my YouTube example, it was visual, it was audio, it was doing, and then the plus, then getting them engaged and involved. So it hits all those different tenets. It also works really well with international students. So we had a significant influx of international students from all over the world, and they're, you're trying to figure out a concept, and they're like, what are you talking about? Here, <laughs> let me show you. So they watch a video, they have a chance to discuss, they have a chance to write, they have a chance to engage in many different ways. It goes the same with assignment types, as I noted. So if you have to have some form of written expression required for your course, maybe it doesn't have to be a five paragraph essay. Maybe it can be a narrative. Maybe they can make a series of tweets or a series of Facebook posts, or maybe they can do an Insta story on Instagram that shows you that they understand and that they still have the same outcome. And that would again hit the tenets of UDO. So you're giving the choice back on to them. They have that choice to illustrate or demonstrate their knowledge and their learning mm -hmm. by choosing a mode that they prefer. Yep. And that won't work with every assignment type. So when I talk with people like, you can't do that, that doesn't work for my class, that doesn't work for this, that, that's okay. The idea is to try and find then in your lectures or in your smaller assignments, ways of getting students to engage in purposeful ways that make sense to them. Because if learning has a purpose, it means much more than I have to memorize this to get through the course, to write the test, to da 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 da. So UDL gives them the opportunity to explore what would work best for you. And often first year students don't have that knowledge of how they learn or how they like to learn or want to learn. So as an instructor, I'm sure to touch on many different types of learning or learning experiences in my classroom so that I can see their reactions. So whether it's, because I'm always doing formative assessments, how's it going, are they getting it, are they not getting it? And that's not just through marking, it's through actually having the discussions with them, seeing their reactions to the different types of assignments, and then adapting as I go. So even though I have lesson plans, even though I have everything laid out, if I see something that's working better, I'll integrate it more. So using something like Kahoot. Mm. So it's an online polling uh, software, free to use for, for those in education. You can make quizzes that are quick and on the fly where they're competitive and students really get competitive. Mm -hmm. At the end of the term, I join in on the quizzes and I have them create some and I start calling out the wrong answers just to mess with people to see what they'll get. <laughs> so they also get my personality in there, but then it reaffirms their learning. Mm -hmm. uh, it also has uh, an anonymous component. So if you want to talk about something that's, that's intense and people just want to give their opinion without other people knowing, even if we have one person who marked off something, we'll talk about the idea. We'll talk about ideas that weren't marked off to really explore concepts in more depth. So again, polling for students who don't want to talk or even polling for those who do want to talk, it gives them an outlet and it gives them a different way of approaching the content.
The thing that I like about Kahoot is I often will use it to determine where the class is at. Mm -hmm. So I will pose a question and then it's instantaneous will come up on the screen, which I love. Mm -hmm. And then you can figure out, okay, where is the knowledge gap that we might need to address? Or, oh, everybody's got this concept and it's again, anonymous. So nobody has to feel bad for not knowing the answer or not being sure of it. Yeah. And then I can proceed and make, make a decision on where I wanna um, focus that lecture. Mm -hmm. And I started to be explicit about the cahoots. So in my first semester of teaching, I said, okay, so we had the readings and next we're gonna have a quiz. Two students legitimately got up and left the room. Hmm. They came back the next week and said, there was a quiz and we didn't do the readings. And so I said, stay for this, this week's quiz. So they sat there and then I brought up the cahoot with the fancy music, doo, 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 and they're like, what is going on here? I'm like, this is the quiz. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's just a fun quiz to get us thinking about the ideas and get us talking to each other. Mm. And I'm like, oh, so we left for no reason? And I'm like, yep, yeah, you did. So huh. then students knew I had a quiz. In this case, it was a Kahoot quiz. Gotcha. You can also use it as a marked quiz to kind of go, who is the top three? Mm -hmm. And give them a little bit of a, an, a reward of some sort. Mm -hmm. That does definitely help with the motivation yes. piece yeah. of it. It was just a small little reward. Like whoever had the most wins in all the Kahoot quizzes gets a 0.5 boost at the end of the term. They will engage in it. Woo, that's worth it for me. It's the difference between a plus and a, and, a, and a flat grade. They will do it. Bonus marks. Yeah. It's amazing what students will do for a couple extra marks. Yeah. It's and, good. and it's fun as an instructor. Yes. Because you get to see their reactions. You get to see where their learnings happened. But then you also get to remember, these are other people that we want to engage with. Mm -hmm. So if I can do something different that someone else isn't doing, but is really gonna for further their learning, then it's worth it. And cahoots can take as little as like a minute at the start of class. Definitely. It does take them a minute to log in, but then once you're in, it's one minute to get them engaged and get them thinking through the ideas. And if you use it you know, more frequently throughout class, yeah. everybody knows that routine, they can get used to it, and they know that expectation. For sure, and you can also do the lecture plus this way where you do your lecture, you have your content, you have your slides, they're taking notes, then you do a quick kahoot to check for understanding. So if everyone's marking off the wrong answer, okay, let's backtrack to when we talked about and really get into that deeper content. Excellent, and you're checking for understanding exactly throughout that lecture. You're making sure people are understanding those concepts before proceeding to maybe a more complex concept that you might need to. That's easy for you to use say. That. Use yes. that. <laughs> yeah. Use that knowledge, right? And again, that links back to UDL. So before I was introduced to UDL with the engagement, representation, action, and expression, I was just doing it naturally, because as a student myself, I thought, well, what worked well for me? Well, not everything worked well for me every mm -hmm. day. And I looked at my classmates like, oh, I love taking notes. I'm like, I hate taking mm -hmm. notes. It's like, if my pen touches the paper in this class, there's a problem. They're like, how do you memorize it all? I'm like, I don't know, I just do. It's like, well, how do you make sense of it? I'm like, well, I, I apply it to my real life. And they're like, well, you do what? That's weird. So I realized though that then students, some like to take the notes, some like to listen, some like to do. So it wasn't just like the VARC idea or the, uh, uh, multiple intelligences models, so Fleming and Gardner, it was the idea of what can we do that's universal mm. to know that learners prefer and or do learn differently. I have to admit, so Adam's been doing these UDL workshops and he, I flipped through his notes and I thought about how I could apply UDL to one of my lectures a few weeks ago. 
And so I teach lab and we're learning skills. And so I gave my students an opportunity. I gave them scenarios and I gave them however they wanted to present the scenarios and how you deal with that. They were more emergency scenarios. Um, they were allowed to, to do whatever. They had 20 minutes in class. Each person had a, or each group had a different scenario and they could do whatever. I gave them the opportunity to use flip chart paper, write things out, um, actually act it out, act the scenario out, make a song about it. I didn't care. Mm -hmm. So that really, I had such a variety of people, uh, of groups, they, they just did so many things. I had one group sitting in one of the beds in the nursing beds and they, they were acting as the patient and they, the other partner was dealing with the nursing. A couple didn't really like to act, so they were using flip chart paper and they made this beautiful graphic hmm. and were able to explain their scenario that yeah. way. So there was just so many different personalities and learning styles just within that 20 minute time frame, it was actually, it just set me aback. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was and, really cool. And then I see with those flip charts is if you get a bunch of them, you can do what we like to call a gallery walk, where they just get to walk around and see, oh, what did they do? What did they do? What did they mm -hmm. do? So for sure, yeah. Because you see students get it. Yes. But if we pigeonhole them to one type of learning every time, then we're, we're really limiting them, in my opinion. It kind of reminds me of the uh, example you gave earlier about fitting them into that mold. <laughs> yeah, in that video of another brick in the wall, the, the students get turned into sausage who revolt, so we won't go there. But, <laughs> <laughs> watch the video if you've never seen it. If you have seen it, go back and rewatch it with a different perspective. We'll put it in the <laughs> podcast notes. There we go. <laughs> but yeah, it's the idea that not everyone fits everything perfectly. But if we have 25 different molds, and I realize we have 35 students usually, Mm -hmm. But most students will eventually slot their way into a mold or they'll leak out to a few different molds. But if we only ever do one style, we're going to really struggle. And I know that a lot of faculty members in like our STEM areas or science, technology, engineering and math, often, and again, not to stereotype, but often there's a lot of lecture. Mm -hmm. So when I talk to them, I say, again, lecture plus. They're like, what do you mean plus? I'm like, pause midway through get them working through the problems in groups, get them working through in teams, get them to create problems based on what they know so far. They're like, oh, I never thought to do that. Because so often it's, here's the examples of the problems, here's how you solve them. Mm -hmm. So now you go home and you do it. Well, what we often see are pods of students in the sciences all working together because they didn't really get that processing time in class. So even if you just embed a couple small instances, it doesn't even have to be every class, but here and there where students can actually show their understanding and do, and look at things differently, they're gonna do well. So something I also do working with writing, and it goes back to my research. So I didn't mention my research is in a field called poetic inquiry. So how do you use poetry in different ways for uh, research and learning? So poetic inquiry for the most part is uh, used for research as part of the data gathering process you use poetry, the data analysis you use poetry, or the data dissemination you use poetry. So poetry, everywhere. Mm. So what I often do with students in the learning center is if they come in and they don't know what to write, first I get them mind mapping. So they're mind mapping, they get some ideas. I'm I like, love mind maps. <laughs> it gets better, I hope. So then I get them to cluster their mind maps, oh. like their ideas. Okay. So now they have their ideas and we create a form of stanzas and they don't realize it at the time. Or I get them to think through metaphors instead and we, we group them into stanzas, so like ideas. Then we go into more traditional templates. 
So what was your thesis? What's your ideas for your, your body paragraph one, two, and three, which look like poems? Well, then we transpose it into more of that academic language and that academic format that's wanted in their classes. So the product is still what's needed for the class, but the process saw them using metaphors and similes and grouping ideas into stanzas, but ultimately led to a really successful essay. But for students who are new, they need that person to help them transition between the two, but even just for idea generation, using something different where they can enter in a different place seems to really resonate with students. I have never thought about that at all, so I'm very interested in hearing more about that. Maybe not in this episode. I was going to say, you can use an acrostic poem with your ideas and yeah. talk through the concepts. and yeah. Oh, man. But again, universal. There will likely be one student somewhere who likes to take a very creative approach to yes. their learning. So if we give them that tool, even if I'm the type that just wants to lecture the whole time, cool. But now the student has that tool as well. That plus portion. Yep. Okay, give us a piece of advice from your experience or whatever you feel like you would want to recommend to somebody who's looking into maybe using universal design for learn learning or um, one of the tools that we talked about today. Mm -hmm. So UDL for me calls for technology because to me it has a lot of versatility. So you can tack technology into the back of what I'm about to say, but I encourage faculty members to go back and look at uh, what are they doing in their lessons? Look at UDL. Go through and actually identify, where am I doing things that aren't just one mode? Here, 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 here. Okay, great. You can use colored pens and just mark it up, just like the UDL cast guidelines. And see, what am I doing? Where am I doing it? And then go back and look at, where am I not doing it? Where, where are the areas that my students are having troubles? So it's going back and it's really being reflective over what are your own processes and practices? What's working well, what's not working well? Where am I using more of a universal design and giving students opportunities to, to do more? And where am I telling them this is the only way possible of doing this? You can say this is the end product that I expect of you. This is the outcome. But if you leave it a bit more open for the process, I think they're going to, to be more successful. So if you as an instructor go back and you go, what are my lessons? What are the common challenges? Where do I have opportunities for multiple means of engagement, representation, action, expression, and where don't I? Where can I? So when you start to feed this stuff in a little bit more, you're probably gonna find that your classes go more smoothly, your students are engaged more, and potentially they're going to show their learning more and get to those products that you want, and your grades might even be going up because you're seeing, wow, they get it. They followed my rubric, they did everything that I asked of them. Sure, their process was a little different, but at the end, it was there. So it's that reflective process of who am I, what do I do, how am I doing it, that I found has worked the best. Because with 35 student chunks, if you're teaching four classes, those are very different personalities. Mm -hmm. So if I take a chance to pause and go, what's been working, what's been working well? What's not working well? Where can I add more, where can I subtract more? I'm gonna be more successful than doing that stock lesson every week. It's like, well, I have two classes today. Okay, here we go, the same lecture. Do, 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 do. Not gonna be as successful. But it's on us to go back and think about our own practice. Often it's the, well, the students don't get it. Well, why don't the students get it? Well, I'm teaching it the same way I've always taught it. Great. Well, this group isn't getting it, I don't know why. Okay, well, then we need to adapt for that group, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. 
because they're coming to us with a totally different perspective than that last group. So we need to be able to reflect and change. And for me, that makes the best instructors. And I think just to add on to that is that you don't have to revamp your entire course no, right away. No. That's not the expectation no. because then it's just going to be a <laughs> rapid downfall yeah. of, of it, it just too overwhelming. For sure. So I always just try and do one or two different things yep. in my course, a course that I'm, I'm comfortable with and I try to make that change. Mm -hmm. And I also let my students know that I'm trying something new. Yep. And I think that they have just this understanding when you're trying, maybe I'm adding a new tech tool, they are kind when you tell them that you're trying something new and they're usually willing to try it out for you. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I found that mostly positive experience that way. Yep. We're not looking to recreate everything. We're looking at that plus idea again, that add in some technology add in different ways of giving your lessons, add in different ways for the students to respond to you, and you'll find some significant changes. And honestly, students that we're seeing in our classroom are completely different than when we were students. Mm -hmm. They are considered digital natives, which means that they've grown up with some sort of digital technology or the internet and mobile device at their fingertips from a very young age. And so we do need to try to adapt to see their different learning needs. Yep, and we also have students who are against using technology. Mm. So it's, it's giving them that little baby step into yes. look at this tool, see how I use it. Maybe you wanna try it out for yourself. Because sometimes we have students who say, I don't use, I don't use my computer for that. That's only for work. Okay, mm -hmm. well, here's a different way of using it. Oh, I just use my phone for Instagram. Okay, cool. Well, let's adapt and use your Instagram in the course. <laughs> Maybe not your personal account, but still, yeah. we use the same <laughs> ideas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's the baby steps for those that don't know it. And it's the, hey guys, you know this. Here's a different way of using it for those who can. Definitely. This is how, you know how to use this, this type of mobile app or application. And now how do we understand or create using that same tool, but help you understand a little bit different the concepts that we're trying to illustrate in class. Mm -hmm. For sure. Even things like online um, portfolios, like the Maharas of the world or even the LinkedIn's of the world. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, I have a LinkedIn profile. I'm like, so what's on there? Oh, just like lists of stuff. Okay. Well, let's work on that. Let's take what we've been talking about in the class and put it into there. Wait, you can do that? Yes, you can. And you should. And it's great. And <laughs> so the whole online presence idea as well. Thank you for just bringing some of your expertise to this conversation. Well, thank you for having me. And there will be a lot of uh, some of the resources that you mentioned. I'll put those in the podcast Sounds notes. Great. So if there's anything that anyone was really interested in, you'll be able to look at the podcast notes and uh, explore more, especially like the cast of the UDL. We'll get that in there for sure. Thanks again, Adam, for sharing your insight on universal design principles for learning and how you enhance your classroom by using Lecture Plus components. If any of these ideas or resources sparked your interest, please take a look at the podcast notes or you can contact the Teaching and Learning Commons at KPU. If you're interested in sharing what you're doing differently in the classroom, please don't hesitate to contact us either.